my experience working with these entrepreneurs, they're so focused on this idea or product they're trying to build and or commercialize that once they get funding to commercialize the product and build the business, they haven't thought at all about how do I set up a financial reporting system or even just my transactional day-to-day stuff. Small businesses are the backbone of the American economy and here in Michigan, but only 50% will make it five years in business. On Mitten Money, host William Zank will focus on helping Michigan-based business owners with the tough questions that will help them succeed. How do I expand my business? What options do I have for retirement? How do I move forward? Having worked with small business owners throughout his entire career and with excellent attention to detail and strong analytical skills, William Zank of TriStar Trust will unearth answers to these questions and more. You can subscribe to the podcast and learn more about how William and the TriStar Trust team can guide your small business at TriStarTrust.com. Good morning, good afternoon, and welcome to another episode of Mint Money. For many people, when they start or go into business, they often are very talented at the fields they go into. Sometimes though, those same skills that help drive the core business don't necessarily help support the ongoing operations of the business. One of the most common areas where this happens is the financial side of the picture. And so what are your options exactly? Now, you could hire someone to help run the books, but should that person be full-time? Should they be part-time? How would you also vet their experience? To help answer some of these questions, we have a very special guest on today, Tom Konzelman, who has a unique background where he currently works as a CFO for a medical systems company and has a lot of experience providing finance and accounting knowledge to startup and growth companies. And so if you're at all interested in knowing more about financial reporting, knowing when a company should potentially hire an outside consultant to serve as your CFO or how to raise money for an upcoming product launch or expansion, then this is an episode for you. Tom does an amazing job giving actionable advice that is easy for anyone to understand. So welcome, Tom. Thank you. Thank you for that nice introduction as well. I'm happy to be here. Absolutely. So let's go ahead and dive right in. So looking over your career is super impressive, having worked for one of the world's largest accounting firms to a number of very successful medical startups to your current role with 3T Medical Systems. And so along the way, what was the inspiration for wanting to work as an advisor slash consultant for different companies? And then also, did you notice a unique opportunity while you were working for others in the past to dive into this advisor and consultant type of relationship with companies? Yeah. So great question. It wasn't necessarily, the inspiration didn't come from the job that I was in throughout my early stage of my career. It really came after I'd lost my job as CFO for a company for 27 years. Our company was purchased by a local bank. And after three years helping with that transition, my position got eliminated. So then I had to figure out, well, what am I going to do next? And after doing what I did for 27 years, I really kind of had to reinvent myself, if you will. And what I realized as I went through my networking process and did some soul searching and visioning, what I realized was the company that I had been with for 27 years, the really fun and exciting part of that was when we were small and growing, trying to build the organization, build our systems to help scale the sales or the services. And then I just kind of realized, hey, where I am, there are a lot of small startups, growth stage companies who I think could use some finance help, finance and accounting help. And as I talked to people, 
I became aware that, that this was true. And so that's how I landed here. I decided I really didn't want to go back, at least initially, into an established company that was on the larger side. I wanted to work with these smaller companies, help them grow, and kind of wanted to roll up my sleeves and get my hands dirty a little bit too. So that's how I landed here. Of course. No, that sounds super interesting. And so a top level question for you based on that, how did you transition from working for a company like what you mentioned for 27 years to then deciding to be entrepreneurial and then starting out and going off on your own? I mean, there must have been some types of not issues per se, but must have been definitely a different experience for you working and going into business for yourself. It was a little scary at first. Luckily, the bank that bought our company was really fair to me. So I had some time to kind of figure that out. And so once I landed the one gig, and as I continued to network, a couple other gigs just popped up and I was on my way. Ultimately, in that process, one of those wanted to hire me full-time. So I did that. And then I still continued to do some other little stuff on the side. The net- networking and you know, just working through your network was very helpful for me. Oh, sure. No, it was like a cascading effect that worked out pretty well for you. So I appreciate kind of diving into that. I'm sure for a lot of people, it's definitely a big adjustment to where I know, at least within a lot of people within my own peer group, they're very entrepreneurial to begin and go out with. And so I know that transition for some people would be hard if you started in one corner and then you really went far over to the other corner. Yeah. And luckily for me, I had, I had the time in the runway to do that. Otherwise, it's a scary thing, especially having not had to do that to look for a job for 27 years. The other good thing for me, as part of that process, I was provided with a career coach who kind of helped me work through that process. Yeah, very cool. And so in your opinion, why do you think most people struggle with the management of a company's financials? Do you think it's either from a lack of interest that people may have or a lack of understanding? Yeah, good question. I think both. Certainly a lack of interest. My experience working with these entrepreneurs they're so focused on this idea or product they're trying to build and or commercialize that once they get funding to commercialize the product and build the business, they haven't thought at all about how do I set up a financial reporting system or even just my transactional day-to-day stuff. So that's where somebody like a financial advisor can come in and, and you know, really help set that up. Again, those entrepreneurs, they're really going to focus then once they know that they can commercialize this, they're going to focus on building that, getting the distribution out of that product. So it's helpful to have a financial person helping to kind of set those processes up and the reporting system up. The other part of that is you mentioned lack of understanding. And I can remember when I was going through this networking process and trying to figure out what I was going to do next, talking to some founders of some companies who were early stage, they had revenue and they were building their business. One of the people that I talked to was a founder. He was one of two founders in the company. He was kind of the operations finance guy. And he said, there really is a niche for something like what you're trying to do. One, you have to know that these small companies can't afford a full-time person. And they also don't know what they don't know or don't know what they need. Hence, there is a niche because of that. 
Yeah, definitely. And so how common is it for these firms to hire an outside consultant to either act as a CFO or just to act as an outside consultant? I mean, do you see it common with firms for maybe less than 50 people, 100 people, I guess, in your case, or do you see that kind of break threshold to where you see, okay, so maybe at XYZ revenue or XYZ employees, then it kind of makes sense to maybe hire someone on full time. But in maybe this or that case, it could make better sense for someone to hire an outside consultant and maybe not use the amount of financial resources or time resources to either have one on permanently, go hire someone or in that regards. So yeah, that's a good question. I don't know if it's more common now than it was in the past. I know that it's common now because I'm kind of in this space or have been in this space. And so I think what it has driven or is driving it is, as you say, smaller firms can't afford to or want to hire a full-time CFO or even a full-time controller type person. And I'm not sure if I know a hard and fast threshold. I can remember being vetted by a company that actually provides fractional CFO services to other smaller companies. I could have inserted myself into their business model and they find clients for me. I was actually working through that process, didn't end up going with them. But in their literature, and if you go to their website, they have clients from two to 20 million in sales. 20 million is a decent amount of annual revenue. And there were even companies, I guess, that you know, at that size that were still using fractional CFOs. Now, it could be one day a week all the way up to maybe three days a week. It's hard to say. But probably the, the $20 million annual sales companies were utilizing more than one day a week. Sure. Well, that sounds really interesting, especially from the wider range of sales. I mean, one could expect maybe from the outside who may not have any knowledge with this, you know, maybe it's just for a smaller S type company, but definitely 20 million in revenues is definitely a lot in revenues for the company, but why not try and leverage some additional resources that may be out there in the market for you? So that's, that's really cool. Absolutely. One thing I thought of too, what's driving this, if it's more common today, and I think some of it is this gig economy phenomenon, where I think maybe CFOs or people who are further along in their career, like myself, getting out of the larger company, that scenario, and just wanting a little more flexibility in your schedule, that also appealed to me in doing this. And I I wonder if that's also part of the phenomenon or reason why it might be more of a thing. There are more people like myself in the market doing this kind of a thing. Especially with the advent of the internet, be able to go work for wherever you will want to. I imagine that a lot of people, maybe they've been in that corporate grind. And I think grind's not, maybe not the best word, but maybe if they're in a bad culture or environment, they entrepreneurial, but they could leverage some of the resources like to a firm that you mentioned in the past. It helps match people up with different companies. You know, it could be serendipitous for both the person who wants to take on a little bit less of a role with someone to be active within their own career, you know, it could seem like a, another good opportunity. And then it also provides an amazing opportunity for the company that they're also helping with and guiding them through the, the whole nine yards. And so that's, that's really cool. And so for a company, how important is it for a company to establish a proper accounting and other processes in place to go run a smooth financial operation picture? And could you also give the listeners an example of this and whether that's a company that does, you know, extremely great job, you know, point A to point B, or maybe you saw a company that you were very surprised with how the numbers and how the operations are going at that point. I think it's very important to have good accounting processes and systems. 
in the simplest form, it's all about the cash. So you just, you need a good process or a system to invoice for your sales, number one, and then receive the cash receipts and apply that timely and accurately to your sales invoices. On the other side of it, you need a good system to keep track of and pay your suppliers. You don't want to get behind on payments and so on. So really your day-to-day transactions in the simplest form, you need a good system to keep track of that so that your cash is flowing smoothly through your business. I think the other thing too is you want to have a good relationship with a bank and your bank is going to want to have accurate, reliable financial statements that they know there's some integrity to them and they can rely on them in terms of they're going to lend you some money based on that reporting. They need to be prepared in a good way, in a solid way. In terms of an example, a bad example is what you're looking for, right? Or an example of poor system. A company that I was working for, they had a kind of an unhealthy, a very unhealthy percentage in their over 120-day past due receivables as a result of a poor invoicing process. And to my point earlier, there was a whole bunch of cash sitting in receivables over 120 days that they needed to get back into the business A result of that was that they had a higher borrowing amount on their line of credit, and it just wasn't cycling the cash through. So they had higher interest costs and so on. But we got that rectified with the better tracking system, and then we had to work hard on those very outstanding past due invoices. It's very interesting you'll bring up because in a way for, you know, and I'm not trying to go point fingers at any company like that, but let's just go say that company was thinking about hiring a CFO. Maybe they didn't think they had the resources to involve someone within that type of relationship, you're actually inadvertently costing your company potentially more money when you go look at the whole wide range of things that that could be affecting versus if you're able to go hire someone on like yourself who might have that knowledge, you could be able to go save the company a lot of money and maybe potentially being able to guide your company in much better financial waters. Now, continuing on with the example you'd mentioned when you mentioned uh, keeping updated financial statements, you know, not only just for good records for yourself, but then also external partners, What are some of the critical points you believe in creating an accurate budget, but then also forecasting as well? I know forecasting is an inexact science. You hope that revenue is going to grow seven, eight, nine percent a year. More often times than not, that's not the picture. But in your mind, what are some critical points behind uh, some of those things? Yeah, that's a good question. And I think you touched on it. I think you want to be realistic. You're probably preparing some kind of a financial model or some forecasting because number one, you want to operate your business in a good way. But you're probably also doing it because somebody on the outside, whether it's a board member, board members, or most likely a bank, wants to see where you're headed on a financial or economic basis. You really want to be realistic. And as you said, you don't want to inflate your revenues. I think you can grow 15 to 20% a year. Maybe you can, depending on where you're at in your life cycle. And I think what it comes down to is really understanding your business model and then reflecting that in your forecast or the financial model that you build. So I hope that helps. It's not real specific. That's how I look at it from a high level. That's perfect. I feel like I'm uh, I'm in like a part-time MBA class right now, being able to go listen to that type of response and <laughs> going into such great depth with that. And uh, taking a step back now, going to a different financial statement, talking about debt now, I can imagine that a lot of consumers, for one rhyme or reason, think that debt can either be good or bad is really how you leverage your resources personally. Now, 
can people say the same thing or would you think the same way if, with a company's uh, and how a company approaches their debt? Maybe that's setting up a line of credit. Maybe that's having debt on their balance sheet. I know a lot of people want to be debt free and naturally, you know, that could be a smart meanwhile thing to go do. But in your opinion, does that same thinking for a consumer translate well over for a company? Yeah, I, I think it can. And my gut response is debt is not bad, but there are some pitfalls to it. You don't want to overextend yourself. And again, I look at it, what are the cash flows? You know what your inflows are from your revenues and your sales of your product or service. You know what your expenses are. Then can you handle some kind of a debt service cash load? And I think on one hand, if you want to grow your business at a certain rate, you often are going to need some outside capital. Loans or lines of credit is certainly one way to do that. But there is a school of thought. I mean, I've seen this too with startups and entrepreneurial types called bootstrapping, where you don't borrow, you only grow and spend what you take in, which is certainly a philosophy on the consumer side as well. So I think it can work both ways. But I do think for companies that are growing and want to grow, some form of outside capital, and in this case, we're talking about debt, it's not necessarily a bad thing. I think you just need to know what the cash flow is that you can handle in terms of the debt service and don't get yourself overextended. Oh, sure. When that starts to happen, all sorts of alarm bells start to go off. And so let's imagine that a company that you're helping, uh, you're looking to help advise, looking to raise money for either an upcoming product launch, or maybe it's just an expansion in some of the services that they offer. What are some smart ways for that company to raise the cash that they might need? A lot of the ways that you start with startups is they call it the three Fs, friends, family, and fools you get some small seed money to get started, but ultimately that most likely not going to take you very far. Sometimes you can do some grant writing, get some funding through grants, depending on what market segment or sector you're in, you know, especially in the medical field, there are often certain kinds of grants that you can get funding from. There are also angel investors out there. The state of Michigan has an angel fund that you can get some seed money from as well. But then typically the next step is you, you want to do some kind of a preferred stock raise, typically called Series A, or depending on how many times you've done it, Series A, B, or C. And then what the business owner would need to be aware of is they're going to be diluted, most likely, when that kind of a thing happens in terms of the ownership. And that's not a bad thing. That's the reality of it. Sure. So you don't want to be double-clicking on one of those points you brought up. And so one of the points for is a line of credit, which I'm sure a lot of consumers are very familiar with. However, for people that may want a line of credit, maybe they're looking just to have some safety net if something were to happen to their job. Maybe they're looking to take out some credit to help make an improvement on their house. Now, I could imagine for a business that could probably use a line of credit for almost anything. But in your opinion, what you've seen in the past, what would an appropriate amount of money be for a line of credit? Do you see companies more looking at that as this is a safety net type of cash, or in your opinion, like we just mentioned with the prior example, maybe to help type of kind of bootstrap some type of expansion like that. Yeah, I think really the line of credit is used for some kind of emergency is too strong of a word probably, but you may have some, some light cash months or periods during the year where you need some cash to tide you over until you get your next big payment from a big sale you had. And typically in terms of an amount, it, the banks are going to drive that based on your balance sheet. In most cases that I've seen, it's based on your accounts receivable and your inventory. And you can borrow up to a certain percentage 
of that, of your receivables or inventory at any given time. They set a limit and you can't have more than that outstanding. Might be 80% of your current receivables. You know, they take some out for delinquency and then 50% of your inventory, something like that. It's a borrowing-based formula. You can't borrow above that. Well, good. And so working our way to now our signature question that we ask all our guests. And so at TriStar, while as a firm, we provide comprehensive wealth management services to our clients. At the center of all this are relationships. Building genuine relationships is something that we talk about every day. And I'm sure that you find relationships as a key part to being part of the community and at 3T Medical Systems. And so can you talk about that and then maybe share some examples you've experienced firsthand with regard to the importance of building relationships across your whole career? And it sounds like, I don't want to be too fortuitous here, but it sounds like without some of these relationships and networking, it maybe you would have never gone down this advisor consultant type of role within your own career. That's absolutely right. I did some networking while I was with the company that I spent 27 years with. I had to have banking relationships and I had to raise money because we were a finance company. So we were always raising money so we could lend money. That helped when I got to the place where I was looking for another job. And like I said earlier, every one of those people knew two or three people. And those other people knew at least one or two people. So it just kind of dovetails and snowballs from there. So to your point, those relationships are very important. And and it wasn't for me looking for a job. It wasn't that everybody knew of a job or could get me an interview. They just needed to know what I was up to at that point in time. And at some point, one of those relationships paid off in terms of a job. I guess the other part of that is I did a lot of coffees and maybe some beer sometimes. It was a good way to get in front of people and just build a relationship that was very helpful and satisfying as well. Of course. And then building up all these relationships over time, I mean, was just such a great advantage for yourself and your own career. And so I appreciate mentioning that and just some of the different ways you're also able to go about building your own network. So I appreciate that. And so for those who want to learn more about yourself, what are some good resources for the listeners out there? So you can find me on LinkedIn for sure. I'm not a big social media user, but I am on Twitter at T. Councilman, and I do have a Facebook account I rarely use, but you can find me out there on social media. Well, perfect. I appreciate that. So thank you again for listening to another episode of Mid Money. Please don't forget to follow our podcast so you don't miss when new episodes drop. Thanks, Tom. You bet. Thank you. You've been listening to Mitten Money, sponsored by TriStar Trust. Subscribe to the podcast and learn more about how William and the TriStar Trust team can guide your small business at TriStarTrust.com. <laughs>